Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Episode 27, Building Committee. The members of Third Church of Christ Scientist Seattle elected a youthful team to the building committee, representative of the university district and the church membership. On the building committee were two women, Ruth A. Densmore and Helen R. Lance, and three men, Horace P. Chapman, Robert A. DeCoux, and Byron B. Haviland. The committee held its first official meeting on Tuesday evening, May 6, 1919, at the Lance residence. All five members were present. They elected officers by secret ballot. Mr. DeCoux was elected chair and Mrs. Densmore secretary. The committee would be spending a lot of time together and this first meeting, in the comfortable environment of the Lance residence, offered an opportunity to get to know each other. Although Ruth Densmore was young, she was quite mature in her work for Christian science. She had been involved in Third Church since its very beginnings in October 1914. She had helped organize the first meetings, was elected to the first board, had served as church clerk, on the music committee, and as a Sunday school teacher. Even before joining Third Church, Mrs. Densmore had 10 years of experience with church work. She was about 16 when she joined First Church. She was there as they outgrew the chapel on 6th Avenue, through the moves and the temporary structure, and she had seen the Capitol Hill construction project go from concept drawings to completion. While a student at the University of Washington, she was a member of the Phi Beta Phi sorority, involved in the Women's Tennis Club, the Women's Chorus, the Women's League, the Montana Club, among other activities, and she often held leadership roles. After graduating in 1911, Ruth went to graduate school in Berlin. When she returned, she worked as a teacher for a few years before marrying Harvey Bruce Densmore a professor of Greek at the University of Washington, a Rhodes Scholar, and a friend of Herbert Condon. This well-educated housewife was entrusted with the correspondence for the Third Church Building Project. The meeting minutes she kept would be orderly and clear, consistently detailed and descriptive, an exceptionally good record of the building committee activities. Like Mrs. Densmore, Helen Lance had been a member of Third Church from its beginnings. She was also originally from Montana. In fact, Montana was her middle name. Mrs. Lance had been a student at the university with Mrs. Densmore, class of 1911. Her interest was writing. She was a founding member of the journalism sorority, Theta Sigma Phi, an editor for the campus newspaper. The Daily, and a writer for the university literary magazine, The Washingtonian. Helen was also on a debate team and ran for student government. 
She continued her studies in the graduate program, then worked as a reporter for a few years, living at home with her parents. Helen had recently married a University of Washington law professor, Harvey Lance, a man 25 years her senior who had been admitted to the United States Supreme Court bar. Mrs. Lance continued to be active at the university as president of the Alumni Association. Helen had some familiarity with building projects. Her father, Hiram Benjamin Ross, was a local carpenter and building contractor. And like Mrs. Densmore, she had been a member of First Church during its building project. Mrs. Lance also brought familiarity with the practice of Christian science to the building committee, since her mother was a practitioner. Horace P. Chapman was relatively new to Christian science and Third Church, but he had previous experience in church work, having served on the board of trustees at the University Congregational Church. His professional background was in the business of shipping and international trade. He had come to Seattle from Farmington, Illinois, in 1887, at about the age of 15. He got involved in shipping during the Klondike Gold Rush. Now he was sales manager for the Charles H. Lilly Company, the largest grain dealer in the area. Mr. Chapman was well-connected socially with prominent businessmen and community leaders through his active involvement in several Masonic organizations, including the University Lodge, professional organizations relating to shipping, and more recently, now that his son Horace was a teen, the Boy Scouts. These connections might prove useful in the upcoming construction project. Chapman was also serving Third Church in the demanding role of treasurer. Byron Haviland had only recently joined Third Church. He and his wife, Bessie, had previously been members at First Church. Mr. Haviland grew up in the Midwest in a farming family. Both of his parents were Canadian, and in his early adulthood, when he and Bessie were first married, they lived in Victoria, British Columbia. At that time, Byron had no interest whatsoever in any church organization. But in 1906, after being diagnosed with Bright's disease and told it was incurable, he looked into Christian science. He later wrote that by pondering the first line of the Christian science textbook, to those leaning on the sustaining infinite, today is big with blessings. He concluded that the reward of heaven did not follow death, as the Orthodox religions taught, but was available in the ever-present now, and he was healed. He joined the Christian Science Church in Victoria and served as second reader. Around 1914, the Havilands moved to Seattle. Byron had been working as a foreman at a shipyard, but when he joined Third Church in 1918, just before his election to the building committee, he became a full-time practitioner of Christian science. Robert Austin DeCoux had joined Third Church in 1917, right before they purchased the building lot, and after completing his three-year term as first reader at Second Church in Ballard. He and his wife, Stella Hoyt, and their three children, 
had already been living in the university district for about two years. Mr. DeCue worked as an accountant at Lindquist Lilly, the men's clothing store on the second floor of the Joshua Green building, where Alan H. Armstrong had his practitioner office. He had also been secretary of the Joint Lecture Committee, which put him in regular contact with key people at all the other branch churches. DeCue was financially secure and had a seemingly ideal family, but he had faced great difficulties earlier in his life. Originally from Iowa, his father, a farmer, died when Robert was very young. He and his brother were raised by their mother. As a young adult, Robert got a job at a printer in Lincoln, Nebraska, married, and started a family. But his wife, Genevieve, died, leaving him alone with a newborn baby girl. He and his five-month-old daughter, Genevieve, moved with his older brother and his mother from Nebraska to Seattle, where they lived together in Ballard until Robert remarried. Perhaps what made this young accountant worthy of the responsibility of chair of the building committee was a quiet strength of character refined through hardship. In the role of chair, Mr. DeCue would outline the agenda, set the meeting tone, and guide discussions and decision-making for the committee. This building committee was described as well-balanced. Each member brought different skills and perspectives. They were all fully committed to fulfilling their assignment. They were given authority to enter contracts. Although the board held higher authority in the church, they took a hands-off policy toward the building committee, offering aid when needed, but never obstructing. The building committee began by discussing certain fundamental principles of church building. They had assured the membership that they would work just as rapidly, but no more so, than the church membership were willing to go. As a committee member later explained, they would make no plans and strove not to outline beyond the unfoldment of wisdom to meet present demands. The initial expectation was that they would pay for the construction with funds on hand. No debt would be incurred. They agreed to make some recommendations to the board about how the building committee should conduct its business, such as banking and payment of bills. They also requested the board put an end to the undesirable publicity about their building project. Just a few days earlier, under the headline, Build New Church, there had been a small news article in the Seattle Star. Newspaper readers were informed Plans for the construction of a new building for Christian Scientist Church of the University District have been completed and work will begin soon. The building projects for First Church and Fourth Church had been publicized along the way, and the Third Church Board may have made a press release about their project. But the Third Church Building Committee preferred to not publicize the process. Perhaps out of concern for the negative reaction over the Capitol Hill edifice, still in recent memory. They preferred to keep this building project quiet. 
It was their initial desire to hold their meetings once a week at the reading room. But as they began working on design, they needed more flexibility in meeting time and location. For the first few weeks, they met several times a week, and often downtown, at places like the Seattle Public Library, offices of architects and suppliers, and the offices and homes of different building committee members. They interviewed several architects, Bebb and Gould, the Seattle architect team who had designed First Church on Capitol Hill, H. Percy Sharp, a local architect who advertised primarily as a home builder, and George Foote Denham, who had recently designed Fourth Church. The decision for the architect was quick and easy. They immediately selected Mr. Dunham. He was based in Portland, Oregon, which made it inconvenient to work with him, except he was already making frequent visits to Seattle to work with Fourth Church. During the summer of 1919, design work quickly moved from concept to preliminary plans to watercolor sketches for membership review at a September 30th meeting. The members approved the plan through a vote of confidence in the building committee. The watercolor sketch of the completed church edifice was framed and hung in their reading room. With the big decision on the architect made, the committee settled into a regular pattern of meeting weekly on Mondays at Byron Haviland's practitioner office in the Empire Building. Besides being a convenient location for connecting with building industry professionals, and besides being in the primary hub of Christian science activity in Seattle, Haviland's office was on the 10th floor, just down the hall from William K. Sheldon, who was involved with the Fourth Church Building Committee, allowing convenient sharing of information about their building projects. From this elevated location in one of the tallest buildings in the city, they enjoyed an unusually expansive view. Working together with Dunham, the committee requested bids for excavation and foundation work. Progress was happening quickly, right on schedule for optimum seasonal timing for the construction cycle. On the financial side of the project, however, there was a problem. The first Sunday collection was earmarked for the building project. Their funds were growing, but the amount in the building fund was nowhere near what was needed to cover even the excavation contract. The committee reconsidered its approach. Perhaps waiting until all funds were on hand was not the right approach. An important goal of this project was to overcome any sense of limitation. Having funds on hand would be proof of having overcome limitation. But over the next several meetings, there was much discussion about whether insisting on having all the funds on hand before beginning did not carry with it a sense of limitation, which would probably prove a hindrance in the building work. The need for a building was being more and more felt. The committee members all believed it was time to start construction, knowing that since, as Mary Baker Eddy wrote, divine love always has met 
and always will meet every human need. They could count on having the funds available when they were needed. After more discussion, they decided to ask the membership to allow the work to proceed regardless of the amount in the building fund, with the expectation of the funds becoming available while construction was underway. A membership meeting was called, and the members agreed to go ahead with the first contract, but nothing more until that contract had been fully paid for. With this official approval, the building committee could now begin building. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.